Hello and welcome to the final episode of season four of Pull Quotes, the podcast at the Review of Journalism. Each week, my co-host Joe Fish and I, Emma Jones, do a deep dive into the stories and people encountered by journalists at the Review. On this week's episode, we're celebrating the launch of the Review's annual print magazine, now available through online subscription and in select bookstores. The Review is an annual tradition at the Ryerson School of Journalism, a rite of passage open to final year undergrad and graduate students. The first edition of the magazine came out in 1984, and along the way has added on a digital collection as well as this podcast. But for everything The Review has seen and done, it has never been produced by a team that is working completely remote from each other. On this week's episode, we're talking about putting together a physical magazine during a global pandemic. You'll hear from our managing editor of print, Julia Duchenne, our print production editor, Gemma Durlyers, and our senior editor of print and online, Emily Morantz. Make sure you also check out our show notes for more information on how our digital, research, and business teams rose to the occasion during this unprecedented era. So where are you guys all calling in from? I am calling in from Kingston, Ontario, under my covers. <laughs> and what about you, Julia? Um, I am calling in from uh, Whitehorse, Yukon, also under my covers. And Emily? I am calling in from downtown Toronto, and I am also under my covers. <laughs> so you guys are spread out across Canada, and that wasn't always the case, correct? Like, Julia, you were in Ontario for a little bit of time here as well. Yeah, I was sort of splitting my time this year between uh, Toronto and um, Whitehorse, Yukon and Atlin, BC, which is right south of south of Whitehorse. Did you all know each other well before coming together as a team? Or was it kind of like just getting to know each other? Um, well, I am an undergrad, so I had never spoken to Julia or Emily before this. Um, Vanessa, the other part of our print team is also an undergrad but I, I had only like heard of her okay. so I didn't really know anybody yeah and um yeah Emily and I knew each other from being in the same master's uh class but uh yeah we had never met Gemma or Vanessa before and still have not met uh in the flesh <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I know everybody on this team so well and yet I've only met um I've only met half of the print team when you guys first started, some of you know each other, some of you don't, was team bonding a concern or was that not maybe as important as if you were working in person? It was definitely something that was on my mind. I wanted to make sure that, that you know, well, we knew that this was going to be like a big year, a, a, a challenging year in lots of ways. And I wanted to make sure that we all, you know, felt that we knew each other a little bit. Um, so at this point in the pandemic, I feel like at least we're, we're used to meeting people virtually. Um, we had regular weekly meetings to start with and then, and then more frequently. So yeah, I definitely wanted to make sure that we all felt like we, we you know, we were like in-person friends, like friends IRL, <laughs> not, not, just, uh, not just screen friends. And so how do you approach that virtually? I think we're all just generally social people. So it kind of all felt natural to open up and talk like we were friends yeah like Gemma I'm surprised by how much I feel like I know you but I definitely feel like we're friends in real life now uh not just not just through the screen even if you might have a little bit of trouble recognizing them if you pass them on the street 
Exactly. I'm just realizing now as we talk that I have no idea how tall Gemma or Vanessa are. <laughs> I am 5'2". You're 5'2"? Yes. <laughs> and so when you're communicating and you're getting to know each other, so we don't really know each other's communication cues yet and how we talk to each other. Did you ever find it difficult like giving feedback or even getting it? Like, Was there any times when you were concerned that there might be a misunderstanding? I think we we tried to be pretty proactive about that. Um yeah, we had like weekly meetings and then we had like also other sort of like um, we were like regularly checking in on Slack. And I was also like checking in um, with everyone one on one just to make sure that things were going smoothly, because you're right. Things can really fall through the cracks uh, on the Internet. It can, it can be hard to, to read people or to see, you know, all you can see is like a little square of someone's life. So you can't actually always tell how they're doing. And what sorts of expectations did you all set up for yourselves? Like daily check-ins? Did you have frequent phone calls? Um, I just, I wanted to make sure that I was reaching people at like the correct time of day because I'm definitely a night worker. I'll like work until really early in the morning. And so I really wanted to make sure that I wasn't reaching out to people at like two in the morning or <laughs> like nine at night because... <laughs> that is not fair. So I really had to be proactive about being like, okay, what are business hours? And am I contacting people within business hours? Because we really felt the blur between work and um, home because we're all just working in the same room. So I really wanted to make sure that I wasn't, that I was being considerate of everybody's boundaries that they had set for themselves. So did you guys like, were you upfront about your boundaries? Like I'm not going to be on the computer after 5 p.m. or something like that? Well, something that I did like maybe a month into the term that I am very happy I did was I set like a sleep timer on my Slack notifications so I wouldn't get any after like 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got really parent like I tried to set a sleep thing for my um, Slack, but I would get really paranoid and be like, what if someone's trying to reach me and it's an emergency and I haven't been answering? And so, yeah, I had a hard time setting boundaries. <laughs> oh, really? So how did that feel as the semester went on? Did you feel starting to get burnt out or did you find yourself setting more boundaries as you went? Well, uh, I like, I would try and set boundaries and I would get burnt out, but my job was like, it really fit my personality because I really enjoy talking to different people all the time and like making sure everybody's okay. Mm -hmm. So I would get burnt out and it would be really difficult to, kind of communicate that to people because I felt like my job was kind of it wasn't as much work as the fact checking or editing and stuff so I wanted to make sure that I was doing a good job but also making sure that I was staying on top of my work and so yeah setting boundaries was important but I did have a hard time with it because of my work style. Well, and also, you're, Gemma, like you're saying that your job isn't as much work, but like Gemma was the print production editor. And so she had to keep track of literally where every story was at every moment. And so that's actually that's actually quite a lot of work. And it's like really constant work that doesn't let up. So don't understand. Don't undersell yourself. Like you did a great job of staying on top of things. And it's definitely one of the hardest jobs to one of the hardest jobs to step back from because it requires like constantly checking in with the process. Julia and Emily, how did you guys manage burnout throughout all this when the lines are kind of blurred and work is also home? I think I managed not to burn out, luckily. Um, but I sort of knew I sort of knew going in that it was going to be a big job. And then when I realized it was going to be, you know, big more than I expected, I uh, I sort of like I sort of managed burnout by deprioritizing some other things in my life, um, which 
I knew that I could do because it was temporary, but I definitely had to put like towards the end or like starting in, well, basically throughout the whole thing, I guess I, I just had to sort of accept that this was like the, the main part of my work life and that, and I was lucky enough to be able to do that. Like, you know, had good support network. Definitely like one of the keys was also like being honest and Gemma mentioned this already, just like checking in with people and seeing how you're actually doing. And I, I think that I tried to be honest with the print team about where I was at and how much capacity and emotional space I had or like, um, and people reacted really well to that. Did you find that honesty was hard when you were working virtually? Were you concerned that nuance was getting lost through text messages and things like that? Um, I was a bit sometimes. Sometimes I, w- I would say, hey, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm up to my ears this week. Like I, I'm kind of swamped. I would worry that, that, that people would read it like maybe as me like you know snapping or just being like you know I'm so exhausted but I was sort of just trying to give like a a heads up and I think it worked pretty well but I was always a bit concerned you never know how things are going to come across on on the screen or on text. Emily what did you think like because you're on two different teams right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah so we had a small team this year smaller RJ team than usual And so some people had to sort of like cover more work than I think would normally happen in this course. And so part of the result of that was that they created a new position, which was a senior editor for both print and digital, which was me. And I don't know why I didn't realize this when I sort of applied for that job, but it meant that I had double the meetings every week. (laughs) And it was a lot of like switching gears and... The other thing that I didn't really account for was that pretty much at the exact time that my like print team work, like editing the front of book and back of book stuff was sort of like winding down. That was when digital stuff started ramping up. Mm -hmm. And so I never really got a time in the term where I had like a like a break. (laughs) Like I was sort of always in like priority mode for one team or the other, which was kind of interesting. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So you just shifted gears and kept going. Yeah, basically. (laughs) So on one hand, it's kind of nice because I got to like think about things in a different way. I wasn't always focused on one type of product, but it was definitely kind of like whiplash. (laughs) And it was also just like it was so incredible to have you on both teams, like in in not in hindsight, but in future sight, we uh, like often the print and the online side of the of the magazines were like pretty separate um and thank goodness Emily was there to to be a link between the two of them and to sort of like vision how the magazine could work across both and do you feel obviously it's hard to tell because we haven't done it in person but do you think that this process would have been easier in person I really think it would have been because I was constantly asking people for things and being like when is this going to be ready when is this going to be ready and I didn't know if my message was the thing that sent someone into a panic attack. I couldn't gauge if my message was going to be the thing that caused someone a lot of anxiety and worry. And so I really think it would have been so much easier to be in person and be like, hey, like, how are you doing? Just let me know when this thing's going to be ready and become more approachable because I think it can sound so clinical on a text message and make it sound so much more urgent than it was. And so I I really had a hard time trying to be empathetic, but also um, getting my point across. So I really think it would have been way easier in person. Yeah, I definitely know what you mean. 
about like um like messaging someone and then if they don't respond to you it's like okay is that person just like taking some time for themselves or are they like freaking out right now because they forgot they needed to send this to me and I'm like sending them into a tailspin and like just that it's that that silence that becomes possible in a slack message that wouldn't exist if you could just like walk up to someone in a room is like very anxiety inducing yeah totally and that's really interesting that you guys were concerned that the messages were coming across as more urgent than it actually was yeah well we were really aware that you know, while we were trying to put out a magazine and we wanted it to be amazing, <clears throat> there was also a global pandemic going on. People had people had millions of other things in their lives that they were they were dealing with. You know, some of some people some of us got COVID. Some of us had family members who got COVID. Um, and we we're also just dealing with like the regular stresses and pressures of our final years of our degrees. So we were trying to appreciate the real urgency that we had a magazine to get out while not also um, making it just one more super stressful element of everybody's super stressful lives. Did you find that there were any benefits to working completely virtually? Um, well, I was able to spend like several months of the year in like northern BC. Um, so that was definitely a benefit for me. Um, we were we were all none of us had to, you know, do the commute. Um, I definitely found that there were some benefits. Mm hmm. And I feel the same way because my working schedule is so like backwards from what it's like. I like to have my days and just kind of clean my house and like create, like do creative things, go for walks, like while it's, while the sun's out. And then I like to work at night. Mm. And so I found it a lot more fitting to my work style to work virtually because it didn't matter. Cause if I were in the mag lab, I'd, everyone be like Gemma why are you there till like 4 a.m <laughs> it's nice to just be in my apartment and nobody knows like, <laughs> like garbage lifestyle I'm <laughs> I could be secretive oh, amazing <laughs> so it really gave you the flexibility to work on your own terms exactly and in my own sweatpants <laughs> <laughs> Poll quotes will return after a brief message from our sponsor. This episode of Poll Quotes is sponsored by the Canadian Association of Black Journalists. The CABJ advances the work of Black journalists and media professionals in Canada. Their mission is to increase representation, diversify newsrooms, and increase the number of Black media professionals in management positions in Canada through education and inspiration. Yeah, there's also something about, like, a two-hour meeting at a in-person is so much easier than a two-hour meeting on Zoom. Like, I find being on a Zoom call for longer than, like, an hour just, like, utterly exhausting mm. for whatever reason. Were you feeling that Zoom fatigue? Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I don't know where that comes from. There's probably, like, studies that have been done on it. But there's yeah. just, like, something frustrating about it. I feel like I feel like one of the neat things about this is that it's shown, I don't know, like, 
the the visuals or like seeing people's faces um, or like being in person isn't as important. And like they're they're good with just like relying on like the sounds and the words. And some people like really need that, like that, like seeing people's faces or the in-person interaction. So it definitely made me think about like how the the classroom has been built to facilitate one kind of learning. Um, and then and then this has been a totally different experience. And it's it's worked a lot better for some for some people maybe than expected. And for others, it's been like totally dire. But I think there hasn't really been one experience of pandemic learning. Um, I think we'd all like love to be able to give each other a hug in person, though. (laughs) So speaking of the pandemic, because this is why everything is virtual right now, magazines are typically sold in public places like newsstands, bookstores, coffee shops. But knowing that these places currently are seen for a few people during the pandemic or are closed entirely, depending on where they are in the country, did that change the way you approached production distribution? Um, we definitely knew that we would have to emphasize more, like sending them, like signing subscribers up, um, and sending the magazine, um, straight to the people who wanted it, rather than hoping that they would just encounter it out in the wild. We did reduce our print run slightly, um, and then, uh, you know, we had like, we had lots of different conversations, like about whether. We were very early in the magazine, like we were toying with the idea of like a, a blank cover um, to go with the name, um, like the, the the name pause, because we figured, hey, it, it doesn't need to be attractive to like somebody on a news on a newsstand. Um, maybe we could just go sort of like really out there with the cover. And in the end, we went with like a slightly more traditional cover. And I think it was it was the right choice. Um, but yeah, we sort of. Uh, we knew that we wouldn't be having to like move as, like at quite as big a, a print run. And and I think the other side of this is that we really tried to focus on um, making sure that like all of the features would get up online in like a pretty timely way. And Emily can chat more about that. Yeah, I obviously, like I said before, like my job was sort of created out of necessity because of the size of our team but I actually ended up feeling like it was really important to have this sort of like person in two worlds this year because of the slightly lower distribution and the fact that newsstands aren't a thing right now really that like I've really worked pretty hard to make sure that the features all do end up online because that doesn't happen every year and also me and the online team are working to make sure that they all look really nice and have the same sort of like visual impact that they might in the magazine to the best of our ability, because that's maybe how a lot of people are going to interact with the magazine this year, like much more than usual. And yeah, I think that's just been a really important part of the process this year specifically. A lot of journalists in the past have talked about that disconnect between the print production and the digital production. Like digital has been seen as I don't want to say lesser than, but it hasn't gotten the same amount of attention as historically print has, right? Like there are a lot of magazine houses who don't even fact check the stuff that they put digitally, even though they have a fact checking process for print. Do you feel that this kind of heals that divide a little bit? This now, this understanding that print is still valid and important, but we rely on digital so much more now to get that out? Yeah, I think like this year, people have had to do so much of their lives online and like obviously we live in a digital world and we did before the pandemic and we will continue to do so after 
Um, but I would like to think that this has taught people a little bit more about how valid digital journalism is and how it can be just as much work and just as high quality as the things they get printed in newspapers and magazines. Um, and I really hope that this year sort of ends up creating a review or whatever the magazine is called in the future that prioritizes digital the same way that it prioritizes print. Because like up until last year, they didn't fact check digital stories for the review. Um, and we really prioritized that this year and it created a lot of extra work, but I'm glad that we continued to do that. Um, because some of our digital stories are some of my favorite things across all of the stuff that we've worked on this year. Like, I think we have some really great stuff. So what we saw is that like all of the traditional markers of the year, like all, all of our assignments um, were sort of geared, like, first of all, to getting the magazine happening, like the print mag and then online, like sometimes felt like a bit of an afterthought and the online team did an amazing job this year of sort of like early on saying like whoa why is online an afterthought like so much of the world happens online um and we need to make sure that that not only is like the journalism as good on the website but that like the class is also structured to respect the amount of work that it takes to do a good magazine online um and so that was something that like the online team just sort of like took and ran with and they pointed out that we need to that we need to do it better yeah I think this has really been a year of transition for the review in like a number of ways um I think it's going to be a pretty interesting future for this magazine it's going to be really exciting to see where this goes and how you know five years from now how the pandemic like really shaped how journalism works mm -hmm. and so to end it off what are each of you the most proud of in this magazine I think I'm really proud that like, honestly, that we got it together, like that at the end of this year, we are going to have a magazine where everybody's feature is in it. Everybody who made a fob bob is in it, like, and that it's really, really good quality work. Like it, the work in this magazine is insane, like so good. So I'm just so proud of getting it together and advocating for everybody's work and making sure that everybody is producing the best quality piece that they can. And I really think we achieved that. Yeah, I agree. Like I, when I was, um, when we were reading the final proofs last week, I got to read a few stories that I hadn't gotten a chance to see in their like full form yet. And I was like, I don't like, not like shocked, but like on like amazed by how high quality all of the stories were. And like, thinking about all of the chaos we've experienced and I feel like all all of us on this team have been on like quite a journey this year with like our identities as journalists um and like some of the stories like made me emotional with how like well written and well reported they were and I'm just like so proud of everyone that we like even if there were moments where we were burnt out or were struggling or like thought that the magazine wasn't going to happen. Like we got it done. Like that's incredible. That's a huge achievement, right? Yeah. Our um, online managing editor, Danielle Neri said that like this magazine, like the print mag would be the only tangible proof um, that we, that, that 
we we had this year together and that we we did it. You know, we don't have like physical memories on the mag lab to look back on. There's a lot of things that we didn't get to have this year, but that we would have this this magazine in our hands. Um, and yeah, so I'm really proud that we got to that point. Like um, uh, Gemma and Emily said, and and I sort of want to like return to this. Um, ev- like everybody is in this magazine often. Um, often, you know, like shit happens, people, people like can't get their features ready on time, like for one reason or another. And, and so they end up, you know, not being in the, in the, in the book, but like everybody in this course has their story in the magazine. Um, and I'm really proud of that. Like, it's been a really tough year for everyone, um, for like a million reasons. And like, I'm proud that we got through this together. Yeah, I think even though we haven't met each other in person, we'll get to meet our magazine in person. And that's just something that's so exciting. I don't want to get cheesy, but like I think it's also like a bit of a love letter to like what we want journalism to be. Mm-hmm. We're not breaking the mold of the review here. It's always like criticizing and critiquing and like trying to hold journalism up to the light and see where the cracks are and see how it can be made better. But I think every new generation of students like feel, feels that differently and is, you know, every new year is heading into a, a rapidly changing journalism world. So, yeah, I think it's also like a love letter to what we want journalism to be and what we're already making journalism. Like we're already changing it, I think. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I can't wait to see what this looks like. Um, I'm so excited. I know how much work you guys and fact checking and digital the editorial process everyone has put into this so it's going to be really incredible to see that magazine show up on our doorstep um and thank you guys so much for making it happen thank you emma yeah thank you thank Thank you you. to everybody in this class for making it happen (laughs) yeah totally it was definitely a team effort So, end of a run. How is it? End of a run. I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of surreal, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But ultimately, I think like I'm super proud of what we've been able to do with pull quotes, like just the two of us. And I think like what I'm most proud of is just like how much better at this we've gotten, even, like over the course of the semester. I don't like. W- would you agree? Absolutely. Like the learning curve that we had from our first podcast all the way to this one, it's pretty amazing. And I like that it like we found that flow halfway through mm-hmm. and so it turned into that we could just go like yes 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 this has to happen that has to happen we we could talk to each other while conducting an interview like it it started it really started to go i want to also give credit to the people that like schooled us around the way like um nana abba duncan came in and consulted with us and gave us just like some amazing advice and um you know, Sonia Fada, the executive producer and, and the faculty advisor for the RRJ also gave us just like incredible input. What Like, are there any are there any moments like from this year, from any of the recordings, any of the episodes that you feel like especially proud of or that kind of stick out for you? Um, that piece we did, you hosted it with the photographer Ian Willems, I felt was so cool because we were trying to figure out how to take a digital or visual medium and make it work for the audience and getting him to explain what it looked like and really like describe that photo to you 
I thought was so beautiful. And also, too, what I thought was interesting was because I had the photo. You didn't have the photo. Um, I had and I was looking at it. And when I was looking at it and he was describing it, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, that's so interesting. Like as a journalist, you know, someone who normally does like interviews and talking, I would describe this something completely different than the way the photographer was describing it. Like what he saw was so interesting. Um, so I loved that. I really loved that. What about you? What piece like really stuck out, stuck out in your mind? Um, yeah, I think I really liked um, your conversation with Tracy Herbaugh and hearing her talk about um, her mom, mm. Sharon, who was an Associated Press uh, journalist who uh, died abroad while covering a story in, in Pakistan or, or northern Afghanistan and her helicopter crashed. And then hearing Tracy talk about her childhood, I just thought, I don't know. I thought I thought the way you handled it was great, and I thought just sort of the candidness with which she discussed her relationship with her mom and the way it was all tied back to, you know, sacrifices that that women who go into journalism need to make in terms of family life. Sometimes, um, yeah, no, I just thought that whole episode was super engaging and and really great. Yeah, like the amount of respect respect I have for Tracy to be able to sit down and be like, hey, this was my life, and these are the parts I didn't like, and these are the parts I did like, and be able to like just so completely discuss her relationship with her mother. Um, I thought it was so incredible. Like there not a lot of people have that level of emotional maturity to be able to do that. You know, I'm so appreciative to guests, to all the guests that we had on to come talk to us, but you know, especially people that came on to speak about um, topics that are maybe difficult to them on an emotional or personal level, you know, like racism, uh, relationships with parents, um, you know, Ian talking about witnessing the final moments or final hour of someone's life. Like that's not easy. And, and that's a scary thing to do. So, and, and especially when you're dealing with, with two graduate students and you don't really know, like, you know, yeah. you don't know what you're going to get. So, so people that agreed to come on and really kind of, um, make themselves vulnerable. That was really kind of special. Yeah. Right. And it's so true. Cause I feel like sometimes we like, we get so caught up in like, what's the scoop and what's the breaking news and being the first one to get the news story out. Um, but there's also this incredible element that journalists really have to work hard at, which is the fact that we are, we are dealing with people's life stories, like, right. Like people who wouldn't necessarily tell this to friends or family members are entrusting us to get these stories right. And to do it justice while also being factually correct and objective. But at the same time, like this is someone's, life we're talking about not in like a doctor sense but you know their their world that we're trying to totally. do justice to so it, it totally. it's really been an incredible journey and i think i think that's important to keep in mind because you know like this is this is our business like this is well this is how we're trying to make our livelihood yeah. anyway and i i think when that's the case it's so easy to stop seeing the people who you include as sources in your stories as people and and just to instead see them as sort of like tools for you to use to write the story. Yeah. And I think it's really important as journalists to resist that urge and to continue empathizing with anybody who agrees to talk to you, um, to to know that you're speaking to a human being on the other end who has their own, own life separate from the story that you're trying to write and, and to never take that for granted. Yeah, absolutely. That To us, this might be a day job and this might be the 10th story you've done this week, but to that person, this is a big deal. Right. They're entrusting their story with this person they've never met before. Yeah, no, absolutely. Were, were there any uh, 
you know, we, we were talking to to the print team about remote working and I was interested to hear to hear your take. See, it's interesting because I am an introvert. So when everyone was like, stay at home, you know, stay at home orders, do work from home. To me, I was like, yes, I like working on my own. I like you know doing the thing. Um, but what I realized this year was that, you know, just how like it really gave me time to stop and think about just how important communication is because when it's when it's there in your face every day you can take it for granted but when it actually you have to sit down you have to send out that email you have to pick up the phone and call that person to check in on them um it really drove home just how important that is right whereas before i I think i kind of took it for granted and now i'm really seeing like oh no, no no like i really really appreciate the people who take the time to check in and to talk and to check in with other people to get the whole story. Um, so yeah, so it was a really interesting way. And I think if we ever go back to completely in-person work, um, which right now feels very far away, but I still have hope. Um, I really think it's going to change the way I approach working as a journalist for sure. What about you? I've been kind of thinking about this a bunch that I think at this point, we've kind of established a rapport with one another. But, you know, at the beginning, I was like, oh, should I send this to Emma? Or like, how should I phrase this? It's less of a concern now because, you know, we're friends and I think I think we know each other. But oh, there definitely friends? is that. Out- <laughs> I think so. Friendship. Are we friends? Absolutely. OK, great. I like this. That's a yes. relief. <laughs> <laughs> what I really loved about this was that you and I never had to stop and think, like, how are we going to get this person into the recording studio? That's a really good point. Right. Yep. Right. It was just literally a when when can you stop for like a half hour phone call with us? And so we could get anyone all over the country, wherever they are, whenever they work for them and we can make it happen, which I really love. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's actually so true. I actually never even thought about that until you just said that, that we were never constrained by geography. And I think that that really broadened the scope of what we felt like we could cover. And we got like a lot of great stories as a result. Absolutely. Do you think that in the future you'd want, you'd like to see yourself working in like a recording studio in a podcast or do you like the small and mobile sort of situation we've got going now? I, I really do like working from home and having the sort of, you know, being outside that sort of like panopticon at work where somebody's always looking over your shoulder to make sure you're not on Facebook yeah. <laughs> kind of stressful thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if I necessarily miss like an office environment. I've done office work. I don't miss it, but um, I do miss being in school with everybody and that sort of like free exchange of ideas and, and the social element and going to get shawarma for lunch. All those other things. <laughs> Exploring the city. Where's Joe taking us for lunch today? <laughs> Definitely miss that. Oh, awesome. Can't believe it. Can't believe that we are here and we're done and we're looking at the other side. Um, but it's been a great run, Joe, and I've really loved working with you. Uh, likewise, Emma. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for everything. Thank you for everything. All of your insane production talents were ridiculous. Like that was so great to work with you on that. Um, yeah. And hopefully, hopefully we'll see each other again through the podcasting world. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be working at a pretzel stand in the mall. And then Sonia, Sonia's going to run in and be like, Joe, we're getting the team back. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be like, I quit Howard. Yeah. <laughs> run off. <laughs> Throw my pretzel hat. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We'll make it happen. This episode of Pull Quotes was produced by Joe Fish, with technical support by Lindsay Hanna. Special thanks to our executive producer, Sonia Fatah. Ending music by Paisley Sears. If you're interested in reading any of the stories we've covered during this season of Pull Quotes, plus so much more, 
be sure to pick up a copy of the review, now available in stores and through online order. My name is Emma Jones. Thank you all so much for joining us this season. Stay safe this spring, and I hope we can all celebrate the magazine in person in the near future. <laughs>